sometimes overthinking things just stops stuff happening. And essentially, to make any improvements in profitability of your business or any changes that you want to make, you just got to go yeah. do stuff. <laughs> There's a really good metric called marketing efficiency ratio, MER, percentage of your net revenue that you spend on advertising. If it's higher, it means your ads are less efficient. And if it's lower, it means you're going well and you probably want to spend a little bit more. So it's kind of like when you go to Woolies and you go food shopping. If you don't take a shopping list, you come home with like Nutella and donuts for dinner. Welcome to Add to Cart, Australia's leading e-commerce podcast that express delivers all you need to know in the fast-moving world of online retail. Here's your host, Bushy. Welcome to another episode of Add to Cart. I'm Bushy and I'm joining you from the land of the terrible people, otherwise known as Brisbane, Australia. On Add to Cart, we welcome everyone to share and listen to e-commerce stories. The more diverse, the better. I want to especially welcome the traditional owners and the original storytellers of the land that we are on, our Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander listeners, to join us in our e-commerce conversations and our community. All right, full disclosure, today's guest is a good friend of mine. We recently caught up. He was a bit miffed as to why I hadn't invited him on Ad Descartes yet. Talk about awkward. And apart from my lack of planning and proactivity, it was actually a no-brainer for him to join me and share his knowledge and share some of the conversations that we've had recently on all things e-commerce marketing. I think you'll really enjoy his unique view on e-commerce and life. My guest today is Ian Calvert from Boom E-Commerce. You might recognize Ian from his unprovoked e-commerce tips on LinkedIn. He is an e-commerce consultant and trainer with 20 years experience. Originally from the UK, Ian now concentrates on the Australian market and helps Aussie brands do e-com better. In today's chat, Ian shares his nifty PL hack for working out which areas of your business you should focus on. He gets real about Google attribution, and we hear his carefully curated shopping list for buying e-commerce businesses. If you want to take advantage of Ian's expertise some more beyond this chat, he is offering Add to Cart listeners a discount on his coaching, so stay tuned at the end for that code. All right, let's get into it. Thanks to our partner, Shopify Plus, here's our conversation with Ian Calvert, consultant and trainer at Boom E-Commerce. <laughs> Ian Calvert, welcome to Add to Cart. You've already made me sick in our pre-chat. You've told me that you've got a hard stop because you've got to get to yoga and that you're going to Bali on Thursday. I'm not sure I'd like you as a guest. I've just been the typical stereotypical digital nomad self-like type thing. I, I used to be really against it. I was like, no, I don't want to be known as digital nomad. I'm a remote worker. Just lean into it. It's kind of like some of the stuff I've done is sort of like side hustles. I hate the term. It's awful. Is a, I've got a side project, maybe because it's side hustle. So just lean into it and just sort of like go with it. So yeah, I've got to go to yoga at 5.30, so 6.30, 6.30, yeah. It's hard keeping up with what you've got to do between that nerve and surf. Uh, yeah, that. Look, can I just say, if anybody's listening to this and they're in Melbourne, they want to go surfing, first one's on me. Or if you're just going, let's go, because I, I love that place. <laughs> I'm trying to set up an event to do it. I've just got to find somebody to do an event. We should do an Add to Cart event there. Yeah, get me on a surfboard. That'd be hilarious. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's right, do it. Done. We've jumped straight in. We've known each other for a long time, so hence the casual intro. So it's nice to do this, and we were talking about it, and, and you're like, why the fuck haven't you invited me on a Descartes yet? And I'm like, I oh, just haven't thought about it. We've had more beers <laughs> since then, but I really admire what you've been doing in e-commerce, both 
before you've started what you have now and we'll get into that but you've obviously got a long history as a retailer and leading agencies in Australia. For those who do not know Ian Calvert, the famous Ian Calvert that they've probably run into on LinkedIn, etc., etc., can you describe to people what you do and why you do it? Yeah, I'm going to change my headline now on uh, LinkedIn to the famous Ian Calvert because if somebody else says it, it's true. There's this VC that I work with that he just changes his headline every time he gets like quoted or something. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, look, the kind of the short version is, as you can probably tell, originally from the UK, I love like wakeboarding and surfing. It's kind of my thing. I work for agencies in the UK. And then I kind of really started in my stripes when I, I started working for a retailer in the UK that sold skate, surf and snowboard clothing. It's called Two Seasons, and I was the e-com manager there, so I did all the digital marketing and ran the team, and then we got bought by Billabong, so we became Billabong. But there I learned the fundamentals of retail, like when to discount, gross margin, keeping your costs low, like all that good stuff like from a true retailer, and then I applied that to e-commerce. I ended up working for a business called Reload Media that some people would know sort of here. So we've had uh, Craig Somerville on the show before. <laughs> there you go. Reload. Yep. That's it. Craig, my old boss. I was actually the MC at his wedding as well. So <laughs> it's funny to call him my sort of like boss and we still stay in touch. Uh, so I, I headed up part of the agency there. I was in charge of SEO and the account managers. And then Craig went to work in the UK and then I became the general manager. So basically I just was running the business. Then decided to work for self. And so since 2018, I've basically been e-commerce consultant working hands-on with a handful of e-com brands. So I literally just have a handful. So it's basically one a day. And I will help them run their business, but I'll also implement all the marketing for them. So I'm really hands-on with Google Ads, uh, Facebook, like building links for SEO, managing affiliates, Clavio, all those sort of bits and pieces, it's all kind of intertwined together. And so it's, the whole thing is kind of making them as profitable as possible, basically, rather than like this hyper growth, spending those on advertising. It's like really just essentially the combination of digital marketing and business yep. applied to these individual businesses. And how do you qualify the types of businesses that you want to work with? So there's two sides to it. So the way I started and the way it does still work with Boom as well is that it's really funny because I help other people sort of start working for themselves. They're all worried about not getting work. I'm like, don't worry about that. There's loads. Worry about getting the right work because the trick is if you've got shared values and what you're trying to do is you're trying to suss somebody out to see if they're going to be good to work with because I'm the salesperson, I'm the account manager, I'm the digital marketer. So I've got to deal with these people. So essentially I've got to like them. And a lot of them just end up becoming friends. We go surfing together and there's been some really amazing moments, right? It's like, actually, let me share one. So I was talking at Retail Fest last year and a client of mine, we managed to pay off their mortgage, so their whole goal was to pay off the mortgage, kind of small family-run e-com business. So they paid off their mortgage, and then they bought an apartment on the Gold Coast. Yep. And I was doing the talk at Retail Fest, and my client said to me, hey, do you want to just stay in the apartment that you help us buy? <laughs> and it was opposite the road to like from the convention center. And I just had this really nice little moment where you sat there on the balcony, 20th floor up, view, like literally view straight out to the sea. And you're just like, Yes, it feels pretty good. Yeah. It's feels pretty good. So there, for example, I've worked with them for five years and we meet every single week and there's mutual respect. 
Do you generally work with the founders direct? Like, is that who you look for? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's the same with the coaching as well. That normally what we do is we have the founder and then we have the marketer. Yeah. So the founder, we're kind of, they tend to be really good at products. They might be good at marketing or something like that, but we get them across the numbers that can be tricky to understand just by simplifying it. And then we work with the marketers to be sort of like, kind of like hands on, but essentially it's the decision maker, right? Yeah. In, those smaller businesses because there's lots of them in australia and they're fascinating to work with they're like I've, honestly i learned so much from them i like there's one that i don't know if you suffer from this i'd be keen to know but i used to overthink things yep i would literally make spreadsheets for days <laughs> like planning something like that and then one of them said to me yeah i just do more than i think and he does some really dumb stuff. Don't get me wrong. Like you really got to steer. And just watching other people that I've worked for that are very successful, they just execute. Yeah. And I know it's like a, it's a bit of a cliche. It's sort of like, you know, go and execute stuff, do stuff. But honestly, for me, that's when anything has changed for the better. I've just done stuff. Buying that e-com business that we'll talk about. Moving to Australia was literally like, okay, there's jobs coming up in the UK. If I don't apply for something now, then it's just going to happen. Or like working remotely, it's like, cool, let's just go and do this. It's just kind of execute, yep. just do stuff and don't be worried about it not going well. It's like, you know, like posting on LinkedIn and stuff like that. Like, it's amazing me about people that don't share stuff that they know because they're like, oh, what if I get it wrong or <laughs> nobody reacts? It's like, oh, my God, you see some of the stuff I put up that nobody ever sees like sometimes. It's like I saw the post, though, around exactly that, and I think you posted it uh, mid-January, and it was about this year my approach is that I'm not going to go out and read a whole bunch of books. I'm paraphrasing for you, actually said it a lot better. I'm not going to go out and read a whole bunch of books, do a bunch of research. I'm just going to do, and it actually has served me pretty well so far in terms of move to Australia, started this, started this, started this. Has acting on impulse and acting first without doing due diligence in terms of your personal life, obviously it's different with clients, but in terms of decisions you've made personally, has it ever backfired? Actually, no. It's really interesting. What happens is, is that you get yourself out of any situation you put yourself in. Anybody listening to this, think about something that's happened that you weren't sort of like happy about, right? Or like yourself, right? You get yourself out of it because you've got no choice. So actually what it becomes about is what situations you're willing to put yourself into. And you think about like an entrepreneur, and I do not class myself as an entrepreneur in any way, shape, or form, right? Don't identify as you say. <laughs> and if you look at some of the really successful ones, they'll literally just go whack them in some situation and, and off they go. They're going to work it out. I think that's fundamentally an underlying confidence that you can just do things and work them out. Now, I'm, I'm not saying go and jump off like a balcony or sort of like something like that, but sometimes overthinking things, actually a lot of time overthinking things just stops stuff happening and essentially to make any improvements in profitability of your business or any changes that you want to make you just got to go do stuff yeah (laughs) shopify have put together their version of the australian e-commerce avengers 10 e-commerce experts including me unfortunately i think i'm the hawkeye of the group to give you tips on how to set yourself up for success this year. You'll even recognize some of the contributors from past Add to Cart episodes. Mark Bartzer, Kelly Slessor, Paul Waddy, Lisa Jones, and more will share tips from how to create great discounts, how to boost conversion rates, 
optimize email and SMS, even use AI to drive sales, it's all in there. I share how to set up your team for success. I can guarantee you will take at least two to three tips that you can use to optimize your sales this peak season. So put on your spandex and join the e-commerce Avengers with Shopify's free peak season playbook. Download it at shopify.com forward slash plus forward slash guides forward slash peak sales season 2023 or just follow the links in the episode show notes from the device you're on. It's an interesting one because the side that I want to talk about is the conversations that you're having with founders at the moment. We're mm-hmm. really early into 2024. I've already had a fair few conversations with founders and the overarching themes that I'm seeing is there's a sense of stuckness, if that's even a word. They just feel stuck and lacking for ideas. Yeah, right. There's a sense of stress around profitability in that terms of sales are okay, like sales are flat or slightly growing, but profitability is a real struggle. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's a sense of a bit of loneliness from a few conversations that I've had is that these founders just want people to talk to and work through their problems with. Is that what you're finding as well as you talk to founders? It's a bit of a mixed bag. So I think that loneliness thing is forever. Like times when I've been sort of like at the top of a business, you're the only person there. That's tough. That's just sort of like how it is, which is one of the really nice things about this boom community is that essentially we just have a load of founders sort of like together and they talk about stuff. Yep. They'll go, oh, hey, this product failed and I feel like this went sort of like wrong and someone's like, look, this happened to us. I mean, there's some really magic moments there. And I think the more that those people can come together, and that's why I like any events that you've done and I think what you're doing here is amazing because it's sort of, and I really want you to take it further, like without Descartes and more events and, and stuff like yeah. that, because I just don't want to organize them, basically. <laughs> so there is that. So it's really interesting. I'd say there's a bit of a mixed bag, sort of like there's quite a few founders that are, if they've managed to get a break over Christmas, they've come back and they're like, right, let's do this. Get on with it. Things slowed down last year. It's sort of like pretty tough, but there's kind of green shoots coming through. It's not, we're not out of the woods. Whereas you think about if we sum up last year, I remember the talk that I did or the the panel that I compared to Global Retail was sort of like what to do if a recession comes. Yeah, That was sort of like the talk, right? We're not there. I'm willing to go out on a a limb here and say, I don't think it's going to happen. I think it would have already sort of like happened. And I think we pay too much attention to the US and the UK. We're a very different place. I saw some stats this morning saying that there was a 50% chance that rates are going to come down by June and the banks have rated it as a 100% chance by September. Right. Yeah. Anyway, there was all that yeah. sort of like last year and things were tougher. It was definitely sort of like slow. It wasn't as tough as the end of 23. I remember, Jesus, it was like October and stuff. It was just it like went zoom. So the ones that got a break, they come back and they're like, right, ready to go. There's kind of some sort of like green shoots sort of like coming through. But then if we go to the numbers of which I do really enjoy, because I don't think it's very hard to fudge proper numbers, conversion rate in October. And for me, conversion rate is the definition of how many people are buyers compared to window shoppers. Mm -hmm. And October conversion rate dropped. November conversion rate was pretty good, not as good as the previous year. So year on year, slightly down. Mm-hmm. Most people were up sales wise, but they were spending more on advertising to get people there. And then December conversion rates down as well. Obviously varies across different sort of like industries, but I'd say as a trend across, I probably have access to about 20 different brands intimately sort of like with numbers and 
that was consistent. There's a few outliers and stuff like that. So they're sort of a little bit apprehensive, but kind of just want to get sort of like to it. And I acknowledge my bias that I'm always optimistic. <laughs> and uh, uh, having been through the retail cycle many, many times, because yeah, I'm 43 now, so I really started sort of like when I was like 23. So we're, we're going on like 20 years is that you see it go up and down with the economy, right? That's the way our economy is designed. It's like there's peaks and troughs and we're essentially consumer spending. And so we're at the forefront of that, basically. But I think there's a lot more optimism out there. I'm, and it's interesting, I'm seeing some really good stuff come through because we've got all these all those issues with Facebook with iOS 14.5 and where's that, like May 2021. Like there's advantage by shopping campaigns. They're great. <laughs> They're brilliant. It's just like really, really good. Got some really good clients running PMAX campaigns, sort of like in Google, we're just running sort of like PMAX campaigns mm. and, you know, starting to get some results. Like ad costs are sort of like that. I was having a conversation with someone the other day around PMAX and Advantage Plus. And is there a risk? So if you want to be the optimist, I'll be the pessimist in this conversation. Is there any risk that we all get comfortable that, it seems to be common that, yes, they're performing for everyone really well and better than almost managing it yourself for a lot of people. Yeah. Is there a risk that we turn them on, leave them on, and then Google and Facebook adjust the numbers and over time we just get a bit complacent and they just don't perform as well? Wow. Well, that's a very good question and really kind of brings us to our topic of conversation about profitability, right? Yeah. Because that's where a load of people have got caught short before. So. There were so many e-com businesses just based on Facebook and Instagram ads. You know, you could sell like a $50 top for like five bucks as in a conversion cost, right? So you're like, just keep turning up, off we go. And what I have seen throughout my career is that every now and again, three to five years, something major comes along that really shakes stuff up. And if you're reliant on one channel, then that causes you a problem. So it's like a good investment portfolio. You want it fairly diversified. Like you don't, just want Shopify shares, right? Because they went gangbusters, but then they they come down. So if you've got multiple channels firing, and if you are genuinely across your numbers on a weekly basis, and I do believe unless you are like a $100 million, $300 million business every week is enough because yeah. it gives you enough of a pattern, that you will spot it. Because essentially there's a really good metric called marketing efficiency ratio, MER, percentage of your net revenue that you spend on advertising. If it's higher, it means your ads are less efficient. And if it's lower, it means you're going well and you probably want to spend a little bit more. So you would see those numbers. And th- this is the way I manage all the accounts from a 500 grand site to like a $25 million site. We see those numbers going up and down. We start making adjustments. So you can stay on top of it that way. And I think that's the way to, to manage them very well. It's like automation is great. Machines are there to design, are designed to help us do things, but you question it every now and again. So, for example, like I set up a meta campaign the other day and it was running and I said, hey, this is what I want, essentially sort of like sales. And for some reason, it picked one ad, the click-through rate was low, and but it was making sales. Now, the problem with that is that in meta, you're getting charged for your impressions. So, you want a high click-through rate. So, it's basically going... I've done a good enough job. <laughs> so, but then you go and turn that ad off and it finds other ones that get higher yes. click-through rates and then it improves your performance. And that's the two sort of like working together. And I, I think that for me is certainly the foreseeable future. I don't think you want to just completely push it over. But also I 
I feel sad for some people that just run ads and they try and control everything mm. because that's just not the case anymore. That You're just going to get frustrated. Yes. So a really specific example of the risk of getting really nerdy is that, so within Google Ads, you always used to want to get to sort of like keyword per ad group so you could really control it and it was exact sort of like match and broad keywords were the scourge <laughs> of the devil it was like these things are awful and long tail long tail long tail yeah yeah right all that and admittedly when you broad targeting first came out it was terrible it was awful mm. right but they've made so many improvements to it and actually my google rep convinced me to try it and i was like look because of the, the client you introduced me to in school of thought, there's critical thinking. You've got to be open-minded to these things. So I was like, I will try this again. Yeah. And it went gangbusters. It was great. Like I'm massively sort of like on board with it. And I think it allows us to do more with less people. And I think if anybody's listening to this and they're sort of on the fence, whether they want to admit it to themselves or not, is that that's the trend that is Google and Meta are going down, right? You're not going to be able to sort of fight that. You can bitch and moan about it as much as you want. Or you can focus on other areas of the business that you can have impact on, like learn other channels, learn Clavio, yeah. learn learn about the finances of business, learn about shipping, all of these other sort of like bits and pieces. And you're adapting and you will always be employable or always sort of like get clients. You know the most amazing part of that story? Mm. You've got a Google rep that you can talk to. Oh, I've got lucky. <laughs> if you want to get into it, Meta, my God, I have never spent so much money with the business and got such poor service. Google, it depends who you get. Oh, this this account spends like a million dollars a year. Yeah. So they kind of like love us and, and they're good and the person's ex-agency and they kind of like understand. And to be fair... I am throwing stones, but it is just something all founders want more access to it's fair. the people they spend their money with. And there's just not that many boots on the ground to get that kind of firsthand advice. No, that's right. And the thing is, is that I think you have to always understand somebody's incentives. Mm. So if you understand their incentives, you can understand the way that they're going to behave when push comes to shove. So for example, if you're paying somebody a percentage of what they're spending on ads, it doesn't matter what good person they are, how well-intentioned they are. When push comes to shove, if their boss says, hey, we've got to get this ad account, or we've got to make more money sort of like from this, the choice is always going to be to turn stuff up, right? So Google are genuinely helpful. They're genuinely a very good data company. They have a huge amount of data. And some of the reports that they've been able to show me have correlated with stuff that only we can see. Mm. You're like, okay, so I now trust this. But there's an underlying spend a bit more, (laughs) spend a bit more. So you just have to take that recommendation each time and go come back to your numbers and go, well, if we do spend more, we're not going to be profitable. Mm. And how long do we spend more? Because we then want to sort of like get more growth. And you just have to just be sensible about it, basically. Yeah. And to your point, take things on and trial things and be willing to challenge your own predetermined thought of what works and what doesn't. It's almost like worse. The longer you do it, you get these priors and then you decide not to do it. I'm really mindful of that. It's like with the keyword stuff within sort of like Google, like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Anyway, I won't bang on about that. When founders contact you and they go, Ian, I'm really struggling with profitability. I need you to come in and help me. Where's the first place you look? Oh, no, it's, it's a bit, it's a lot more common now that they're coming to me with that. They've normally come to me and go, hey, we've got like a Facebook sort of like problem gotcha. or something like that. And then you kind of dig into it because it's amazing. There's a lot of people that are not across their numbers. Yeah. And whether it's they meet with their accountant once a year and work out if they're profitable or not. Well, they get monthly reports, but the monthly report comes at the end of the previous sort of like month and it's too late to make changes and stuff like that. 
but what, essentially once we get down to it and we're like, right, this is sort of essentially it's just kind of breaking the P&L down into different areas to make it a little bit more understandable. So came across this really, really good model that I saw Paul Waddy talk about at first, a friend of the show. I friend of the show. And I don't know if Paul came up with it or not. And if he did, congratulations, it's great. But it's essentially it's called 50-30-20. So what you do is you split your P&L into three different areas. So gross profit, mm-hmm. so which is the 50%, and that's any variable cost. So cost of goods, any international shipping, any cost that goes up or down when you sell. Yep. So, for example, if you're on Shopify, you're getting charged probably 1.5% of all transactions. So you add that in. After pay used to be 6%. It's probably 4% now or something like that. So you build all that in. That essentially, you want that to be 50%. Remember, that's after GST's come off. Then you've got your expenses. So rent, paying people, advertising. The stuff you're stuck with, whether you sell a million or you sell $10 worth. Exactly, your fixed costs, right? Yeah. And it's interesting because essentially marketing's always been seen as a fixed cost, but Google and Meta have convinced us that it's now sort of like a percentage, which I'm on board with, to be quite honest, because it's sort of like work. So you've then got the 30%, and then the 20% is the net profit. Yeah. Now, I'll be honest, the 20% is pretty optimistic, sort of like for most, particularly without costs sort of like going up and stuff like that. But I think it's still doable. Mm-hmm. You can go for it. So essentially, you then group all of your expenses into that, and then you go, well, your gross margin's only 40%, or it might be 35%. And so that's an opportunity for improving your profitability. Yep. So it, this is actually some of the criteria for me buying an e-commerce business. It was only 30%. I'm like, well, let's just sort of like it, it increase that. So you can then quickly pinpoint where you need to focus. So often a no-brainer is that people are either over or underspending on advertising. Mm. So it's so common to hear somebody spending like 40 or 50% of their net revenue on advertising. And you're just like, <laughs> for those of you not watching the video, I'm pulling a very strange face. <laughs> you're pained in that face. Well, yeah, that's right. And there's this whole industry that's geared up for you to sort of like spend more yeah. on it. As my past right? would say is is playing the, the pokies. Another spin, another spin, another spin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that million dollar account that I'm, that I'm running, like spend, it's like, it's still turn budgets up. You're just like, where does this end? <laughs> so what you do is you extremely validate it. And all I do is, honestly, I use the dead simple spreadsheet. I'm more than happy to share it with everybody in here and I use it across all the businesses. And you basically just put in all your costs and you see on a weekly basis where you sit 50, 30, 20, because it will fluctuate sort of like sometimes. And that allows you to then manage it. It allows you to keep a, an eye sort of like on it. So down to the original question, essentially you kind of, it's normally, you make sure that the gross margin is good as in the cost of goods alone and stuff like that. And then you look at the advertising costs and essentially the most successful and best businesses have got really low OPEX or operating expenses. So they're spending less on advertising because they've got some type of community or some type of brand that's really, really strong where people then sort of like coming back to it. And essentially what you want is you want some advertising, but not a massive amount of advertising, but to do to not advertise, you've got lots of hard work to do because yeah. you've got to then build a community and, and all those solo bits and pieces. So, yeah, add costs. That was going to be my question to you around MER, yep. marketing efficiency ratio. And we've had this come yes. up a couple of times before in previous conversations. Awesome. So good. It's similar to ROAS in terms of it yes. tells you what's happened straight away. How do you measure and keep in mind that sometimes you want to do exactly that. You want to build brand, you want to build community so that in the long term you can turn down the dial on those variable costs and rely on returning customers and loyal customers. It's a good question. So 
And MER is essentially a very similar way of measuring return on ad spend. So return on ad spend, spend one dollar, get five back. MER, the same example would be we're spending 20% on advertising. Now, the thing I love about MER is that it makes you think about what you're spending, not what you're getting, which is more of a kind of like a reality check. And it basically forces you to understand the P&L. So, and I think anybody that is spending any money for a business in any advertising needs to understand their P&L so that they can then make good decisions. Because honestly, there's a lot of people who show this and you're just like, oh yeah, we can't turn that up because then our expenses will be like 40% and then we won't get our numbers like, well done, yeah. <laughs> we're there. Now, let's define how we're defining MER, double define. <laughs> it is everything that goes on marketing as a percentage of your net revenue. So net being take off your uh, GST. And so you could be doing like performance stuff, Google and Facebook, and then you could be doing sort of branding stuff and the branding stuff doesn't pay off sort of like for a while. So there's basically a lag number. Yeah. So you might spend loads on like a branding campaign for six months of the year, but then you don't see it until sort of like the last six months. And that is literally the million dollar question Mm. is when to spend and when to sort of like stop spending. What early signals are you starting sort of like to see? Is your conversion rate starting to go up? Because think about what we're talking before that conversion rate essentially is that there are less window shoppers Mm. there are more people taking action and they're taking action sort of like for a particular reason and i remember kind of really cracking this when i was working with it was like a car hire business they did like comparison and stuff and we wanted to do branding stuff this is years and years ago and the owner super smart super switched on like one of the best business people ever ever had the pleasure of working with and he was like why don't we just spend it and see what happens and it was so simple. It was brilliant. Whereas the, you get these people trying to do attribution of this happens over here, this happens over here. Da, da, da. And it's like, it's not data that you can then trust. What you can trust is money in, money out. And essentially it's how ballsy you are to sort of like to spend sort of like for how long. Mm. That's the best answer that I can yeah. give you because essentially it's an absolute art. And you can also shoot yourself in the foot with Mer. Let's say your target Mer is 10%. And so you keep it at 10%, but your sales are going down. So you just keep it at 10%. So you're going down. So actually you want to put it at 12 or 15 and push it sort of a little bit higher. The trick is knowing when to push. Mm. For me, I push when I see conversion rate go up. So you push that sort of like a little bit harder to then get that sort of return. And I think that's why I've always enjoyed being very hands-on with businesses because you're essentially pulling a lever and you just get like an intuitive feel for it. You're like, okay, we've done this over here and then this has happened here, but then this has happened over here. So it looks like working. Whereas if you are purely just looking at Google Ads, Google Ads is designed to say, hey, we're doing really, really well. And if you ever dig into attribution, it's a guess at best. And that's being polite. And they'd say that. They're like, if you read their terms and conditions, it's a guess. There's a little two that comes up in the meta. This is my emotional hotspot. There's a little two that comes up in the Facebook ad manager and it basically says next to the results and you go over it and it said, this is statistically modeled. <laughs> and you're like, right. So that's why I start measuring it money in, money out and it just works really well, basically. When you're looking at Mer, is it a signal, almost like a flag for you that you then have to dig into individual channels occasionally? Yeah. So now this is where it gets a little bit tricky because essentially – you need the information from the platform to say how well it's going. However, what I do is instead of looking for like little incremental changes, because that's just noise, basically, you're looking for a, a massive change. So let's say you're running 10 campaigns, which it probably wouldn't be, but let's just say you are for the argument's sake. And there's one that's costing, it's reporting 
it's guessing that it's $100 per sale and there's another one that's at $20 or $30 a sale and it's getting volume, that's a clear signal that that's working better than the other one so you can then start turning that off, right? But if you want to get to the next level for Myrrh, and this is something I'm working on with quite a few clients at the moment, is that what you do is you set up a campaign per product category or a group of products and then you measure how much you're spending on that campaign. So let's say you're selling... I know, headphones, just I've got a pair on, right? You've got a headphones campaign, and then you measure in your back-end system actually how many sales of headphones have been made. Mm-hmm. And then you calculate a mer based on that. So you're murring by category, not overall business. Exactly, right? So that's level two. So then you've got some levers that you can start pulling because – what a mistake that digital marketers make is they go, hey, this is selling, so just put more into it. And you're like, that's cool for SaaS when you're essentially saying usernames and passwords. But in e-commerce, we bought the stock two months ago, so we don't know what's going to sell. So if you sell out of that, that's not good for us. So whereas if you can control by category, so you might have a high weeks of supply for something, you can then push sort of like more into that individual category and then measure it that way. And to be honest, that I haven't come across software that does it. If anybody's listening and they've got it, hit me up. I'm keen to start using that for clients. That's basically just Excel and just doing some V lookups to get the sort of like the two together. And then you kind of get this sort of like control of the business. So you're then controlling stock by locations. If you want to go to the next level and you've got multiple warehouses, and so let's say you've got a warehouse in Sydney and Melbourne, then by category, you can create your campaigns by warehouses and categories because you might be running out in the Sydney warehouse and it costs loads of money to transfer it to the other. So you can push harder in one and then sort of like kind of pull it back like that. You've got a mer machine. You can have that one. Oh, that's a good name for it, the mer machine. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, I was going to write an article and kind of share it with everybody. So I just wanted to get some really solid results sort of like from everybody. Yeah, to be honest, everybody I tell them about, they're like, hey, let's go and do it. Like, as a coaching client I work with, I kind of half mentioned it. And they just went and implemented it. And I was like, hey, there's a bit of transition that you've got to go to. It's like, no, no, we're just, we're on it. But again, founders, they just do stuff. Sorry, I'm interrupting this conversation because I have a message for any sales folk listening who are in e-commerce services or tech. What if I told you that you could meet Australian e-commerce decision makers in their car, follow them to the gym, even join some of them in the bathroom? Well, if you sponsor Add to Cart, you might be able to do that legally. We have sponsorships available for 2024 right now. Come join our industry-leading partners such as Shopify, Impact.com, Convert Digital, and Farsight in helping to bring amazing conversations, events, and more to our e-commerce community in 2024. Email me directly at nathan at addicart.com.au for the full 2024 prospectus. And in the meantime, don't get any ideas about bathrooms. Last question on this before we move on, because you said something interesting before that I want to pick up on. When you are looking at channel attribution, when you do get into that and you really want to scrutinize individual channels and work out if they're working, where do you take your source of truth? Is it from the channels? Is it from Shopify? Is it from GA? Where's your source of truth? Hard that there isn't one. Right. This is a really fun exercise for anybody, right? Take the sales that your back-end system reports the money that the bosses, whatever it's all about, Salesforce, take that number. Then go into Google and see how many sales it thinks it's made, right? Whatever attribution model it's using, last click, data-driven, blah, blah. Then take Meta, 
and see what it's claiming. Then take Clavio. If you're really going for it, like take Pinterest, any channel that's reporting and trying to get your money, add it together, you're probably going to be about 250% off your sales. Yeah, go and retire, cash in your chips. Yeah, that's right. It's just, it doesn't add up. Yeah. So after many years of trying to solve this, I essentially just realized the simple approach is the best approach because you're better to have really solid data that you can make a decision on. And essentially, you think about what attribution is trying to measure. It's trying to measure what made somebody do something. So let's just keep talking about headphones because we've just got them on, right? I'm looking for a new pair of headphones. I might have done some searches or something like that. Yeah, fine. But then you say to me, hey, I've got these headphones and they work sort of like really, really well. I'm like... Yeah, okay, all right, I trust Bushy. And yeah, he's been using them, great. And then I click an ad on Facebook and I then sort of like go and do it. That's not measuring what made me do something Mm -hmm. and that's almost impossible to measure, right? So they're trying to measure something that you can't measure and so therefore it's essentially useless data. (laughs) And you have to understand that there is multiple, humans are very complex and there's multiple things that then influence them to go and do these sort of like bits and pieces. Oh, can I tell my Geneva story? This is like my friends backpacking through Europe thing. <laughs> I love this tangent. I'm here for it. Right. This is when I was working with the Bulgarian guys and we were going to Google in Geneva. It sounds fancy, doesn't it? It was a real pain in the ass because we were flying from Bulgaria and stuff like that. Bulgarian air, how's that? They clap when they land. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. So traveling a lot, needed suitcase, coming into land, and there's a brand called Victronox, I think is the way you pronounce it. Gift is dyslexia, so I'm bad with words. And they had burnt into the side of the runway like a big Victronox logo. Mm. And I remember just thinking, oh, that's pretty cool. Oh, oh I kind of sort of like that. And then, you know, I'm searching for stuff and to end up sort of like buying one. And uh, we went to this Google session and really smart guy. He actually wasn't from Google. They employed somebody else to make it seem a bit more sort of like legit. And I, I said, hey, look, this is the situation. How do you measure that against what's happening with ads? And he kind of fumbled around with the answer a little bit and statistical modeling. And then I was sort of like, you know, when something just doesn't add up and that was like the eureka moment. I was like, yeah, <laughs> which is why I'm a massive fan of brand marketing. So, you know, yeah. you look at stuff like July and what those guys are doing is that they've got a really good mix. They've sort of like, they do really interesting stuff. They just put stuff out there that is likely to get attention, is really, really good creative and is going to amuse people. And I don't know how they measure it sort of like, all. Well, I should really talk to Zoe sort of like about that. Yeah. But I think they're just a good example of an Australian one with a great, strong sort of like brand. I think as long as Ethan says he likes it, then just keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you talked before around buying e-commerce businesses and what you look for when you're buying e-commerce businesses. I like how you just casually threw that into the conversation. (laughs) You publish a newsletter that helps other people who might be interested in buying e-commerce businesses. How did that come about? And why are you interested in buying e-commerce businesses rather than starting e-commerce businesses? Good question. So I can almost guarantee you that nobody listening to this podcast has not come up with an idea for an e-commerce business. Yeah. Right? I'm exactly the same. I really enjoy coming up with ideas. I've got a whole list of them every time we get together for a beer. It's like, what was you going to do this? Right? And when I started working for myself, I had the opportunity and sort of like capital where I could actually go and build something and sort of like do it. And I don't know whether this is overthinking or not, but essentially this is kind of the practical brain 
that I own is that I was like, well, I know what I'm doing with e-commerce. And I've seen the insides of businesses that work really, really well. And these are the things that we need to sort of like hit. And basically, I worked out every idea was going to cost 15 grand. So five grand of stock that you're taking a punt on, five grand of like ads to get sort Mm -hmm. of like stuff going, unless you've got a massive sort of like audience and five grand just all the other stuff. Yep. And I can build websites, I can run ads and all these other bits and pieces. So realistically, by the time you get there, it's 15 grand. Plus all your time. Plus all your time. Right? Like, you know, yep. that's huge. Um, chances of that first idea hitting, might get lucky. Mm-hmm. Chance of the second idea hitting, you're increasing your chances. Third, probably you're going to hit something. So you're already at $45,000 to get something sort of like off the ground. And probably a bit loco if you're up to your third business. Right. Yeah. Most people won't. Like, most people will give one crack, doesn't work out, they'll just sort of like go back to what have you. And I realized essentially what you're doing when you like, you think an idea is really, really good, but it's, it's, you're looking for market validation. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, essentially shadow testing, you will something sell. Right. So then I was like, well, wait a second. I get approached all the time about running these e-commerce businesses and making them more profitable and stuff like that. And I'm pretty good at picking the ones that I can help and do. It's like, well, instead of just helping, why don't I just buy one? <laughs> and so then that just started off this whole chain sort of like event i'm pretty sort of curious and so then i was like oh okay cool right well let's do that and then just started looking and just got into a really good habit of looking sort of like for them and so i literally i just put money in a separate account so it's ready sort of like to go so i had no excuse not to do it again this whole do more than you kind of think about sort of like doing stuff and then i just started shopping for them so there's lots of websites like flipper's the main one now yep. you've had blake on blake there. friend of the show yeah friend of the show and there used to be one called shopify exchange which had all the shopify mm. data which is sort of close down it's actually where i ended up buying mine from okay and basically i set a selection criteria so i call it a shopping list so it's kind of like when you go to woolies and you go and you go food shopping if you don't take a shopping list you come home with like nutella and donuts for dinner and you're having a great time for the first five minutes, right? Fantastic for five minutes. And then the, the kids go on the sugar high and then everybody's feral and, and then you don't win, right? So you just yeah. end up buying like a, something that you love. So I'd end up buying like a surf store or something like that. <laughs> Whereas what I did was I just wrote a criteria of what is a successful store. So I, I want a conversion rate of, I think I was like, I wanted like one and a half percent or something like that, unless the average mm-hmm. order value was higher. Minimum average order value of like $100 so I could afford to advertise on it based on that 50, 30, 20 ratio. I didn't want any fad products like fidget spinners or anything like that. I didn't want anything with multiple sizes. So like a fashion business. And I personally wanted to stay away from cosmetics because it's just super, super competitive. And so actually I started saying things that I wanted and things that I didn't want. And then once you do that criteria, then you start because if you ever go onto Flipper, it's like, it's a bit overwhelming. There's like loads. You're like, how do I know I'm not going to get scammed by a Nigerian print sort of like type thing. But once you then have that criterion, you start filtering down. And if you check every Tuesday, for me, Tuesday was key because Monday you get stuff out of the way. And then if you make a regular habit of checking, then there's likely that more sort of like come up. I thought you were going to say there's like a cheap Tuesday business no, offer no, or something. No, no, but what I do is I now send out the email every Tuesday. on the, These are interesting e-commerce businesses that I would look at buying or ask sort of like more questions because it's about routine, right? Yeah. So then all of a sudden, you start whittling it down. Oh, sorry. The other thing was I wanted mine in Australia. So the, the stock was kind of like here. I potentially would have done one so like in the UK. So all of a sudden, 
there's like six that I'm looking at that fit that criteria. What'd you buy? I don't tell anybody what I bought because essentially I share all the numbers of everything that I'm doing. <laughs> I sell lamps. Lamps. Yeah. You're not a, you, you don't strike me as a lamp guy. Well, that was the other thing is that, and I get contacted by a lot of people about this and they basically say, I just haven't been able to find a product that I really love. And I'm like, don't find something you love. Find something that you know a bit about. Like, I was never going to do skincare because as my wife says, I'm very basic with skincare. So as in, I don't have any. <laughs> But I wasn't looking for a surf store because a surf store might come up, but the numbers wouldn't match what I needed to do. And then that gets your criteria down. And then you just start contacting them. You get like P&Ls and you can start going through. And then what you're looking for is you're looking for the problem because there's a problem. There's a 100% problem, right? There's a reason that they're selling it. Nobody's selling anything that's like amazing. And if they are, they're charging a premium. And the trick is, can you solve that problem? So the one that I bought had a gross margin of 30%, knew it needed to be 50%. Essentially, I just knew if I ordered more, I'd get a better gross margin. They weren't running any ads, so they weren't getting traffic through. They were literally doing everything themselves. So I was like, well, I'll just bring in a 3PL and I'll model it sort of like up on that. And it hit the criteria. Mm. And I'm like, okay, so I've said I'm going to do this. The money's in a separate bank account. <laughs> I, I, like, I've, I've got to kind of do it because I find people put up all these barriers. They're like, oh, I can't find this. or this, 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 this. Whereas if you kind of set yourself up to then go and do it, you then mm-hmm. it just sort of happens. Again, it's more like doing what I'm saying. But I mean, interestingly, so mine cost 5,000 Aussie. Yep. That was it. And essentially what I bought was market proof that this product sold. I had to go and order a load of stock. I had to put quite a bit into sort of like stock. But essentially, I remember placing the order and thinking, oh, well, if this goes wrong, I was like, well, if this goes wrong, I'll just go down the market and I'll sell them at the price that I bought them for off the Chinese guy. <laughs> it's like, or you'll have a very well-lit apartment. Or I'll have a super well-lit apartment with a big electricity bill. They call it fear setting, right? And I think once you kind of break it down into that, and literally just writing it down just kind of sort of like helps. And to be honest, it's just been so much fun. Yeah. It's just been great. It's like the random stuff that has happened, just sort of like without the people you get introduced to. Like I remember placing the order with the factory in China, like, okay, cool. So just to finalize the order, we just need your company stamp. What? <laughs> like company stamp. So I drove down Office Works. Like a physical stamp? Like a physical stamp. Like a physical stamp. I mean, I should have just done it in Canberra or something like that. Yeah, right? yeah. But like, I went and got physical stamp, spent two hours lining up all the letters of the official company that I'd formed sort of like to buy it, to then stamp it and send it like, great. And then I just sent the money to some random Chinese bank account in US dollars and was like, hopefully it turns up. <laughs> and it did. So, so yeah, it's good times. Great times. Yeah, yeah. And how do you fit that in with everything else that you've got going on? Poor cousin. Definitely the poor cousin. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But profitable is paying it. Yeah, quite. definitely not 50, 30, 20. Yeah, profitable. If I probably add in my time, probably not as much. So it's interesting that the challenge is that essentially there's only a couple of SKUs. Yeah. When did I buy it? Like 18 months ago or something like that. And so I've been getting samples, but because I've been traveling a lot, which is kind of the digital nomad thing, but it was actually because nomad. we just had to move twice in eight months because of everything that's happening with rentals in Melbourne and stuff like that. It sort of it became sort of like the the poor sort of like cousin. So I, I need to probably get up to about 10 SKUs and I also need to get repeat customers coming through. So I think that's a big learning for me in the learning realization that the next one that I buy would definitely, there, there needs to be more repeat sort of like customers sort of like coming through. Yep. What a great way to practice what you preach though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. And to be honest, I think 
that goes quite far with people. But it was, I just wanted to do it, <laughs> to be quite honest. I was like, yeah, why not? And then I just came up with this really good line. The marketing brain came. It's like, I bought an e-commerce business for the price of a holiday. And it's like, <laughs> people are like, I could do that. I was like, yeah, you can. Like, go nuts. Um, once you've got that selection criteria, there's a few tricky sort of like bits that you've got to sort of get through. But, I mean, I worked out. Speaking of being excited and curious, what's caught your eye in terms of new tech that's out there at the moment? Is there any platforms, any SaaS, anything that you're like, oh, you've got to get in and try this? Do you know what? It's funny. I, I don't think this will surprise anybody, but obviously we agree some questions sort of like beforehand just to give it sort of like structure. Like, oh, to be honest, we've gone off on loads yeah, like random tangents. questions actually. Yeah, but it's funny. I remember that same three and I was like, I really gave me pause for four because... And I th- actually, I think the way you phrased it was sort of like, but you can't say AI. And I'm like, no, that's, that's fair. Yeah. And it gave me pause for thought because I actively shy away from the new shiny things because I've been through that process, right? Of, oh, that's new and shiny, let's go and do it. And it always comes back to the, a lot of time the value's not there. Whereas the stuff that I find really interesting is like, let's say when I talk to you or I'll talk to, I'll give a shout out to Paul Goldston now, sort yep. of like from Shopify and just some of the things that you guys see sort of like happening or Kate Collinson, who's been on sort of like the show as well. She does very similar. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. Um, she does very similar sort of like work to me. Mm. And I, so I trust those opinions that is like, does it work? Does it sort of like move the needle? But I appreciate that's not, everybody can do that because they might not sort of like have those connections and stuff. So I genuinely gave this quite a bit of thought. And what I landed on was that, I'm really excited about businesses learning more about their customers. And the way that comes geeky and manifests itself is that, because obviously all the third-party data is going away where Facebook collects it. Whereas if a brand collects it as like zero or first-party data mm-hmm. is in the explicitly go, you ask a customer, hey, you signed up for this main list, but what are you kind of interested in so we can tailor it sort of like to you and then building that up because again that's just good retail right yeah it's just good retail it's like somebody walks into the store hey what are you looking for you know where are you from what sports all those bits and pieces and you're like well that solves a lot of the problems that are coming down the pipeline of people are going to lose that sort of like data and it's pretty easy to do like there's things Mm -hmm. like like a shout out to akendo i think is a great great platform they do these surveys where it kind of like pops up and says hey you know you're an existing customer I don't know, let's say selling furniture, are you renovating a room in the next couple of months or something like that? And then you can customize it to people. And that just, yeah, that's just smart, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I love it. So it's not necessarily what's coming down the pipeline, but looking at what's already available out there, like a lot of the, there's not a lot of new problems, is there? No, I think they're fundamentally all the same because we're just dealing with human beings, right? But it's sort of what tends to happen in our industry. There's a bit of an echo chamber of like everybody talks about this. Like, like a while back, everybody was loyalty. Like loyalty is the solution to every problem that you've got. I remember somebody quoting, it's like, oh yeah, forget acquisition. It's all about loyalty. I'm like, I mean, fundamentally that doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's like, that's a leaky bucket. Like, yes, I get the repeats of like customers and stuff like that. And I think, but I know the marketing thing is it depends, but it's all context, right? Mm. And you can only have the context if you understand what's going on in the business. You've got to understand what the numbers are, what's actually moving sort of like the needle and being able to then do those things and then apply them to themselves. So, for example, I work with a furniture business and we've had some chats about sort of like loyalty. And you're like, all the loyalty programs out there are sort of designed for like fashion and cosmetic businesses where there's repeat purchases all these sort of like times. You're like, well, 
yeah, I mean, the life cycle of somebody buying furniture is sort of like a lot longer. So it has to be done very differently. It's sort of like we have to really kind of think about what is going to incentivize people on just go, hey, here's a point system and go fill your boots and you've got to use it in sort of like three months. It's not going to work. So, yeah, I suppose that's why I stay away from the new kind of shiny stuff. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. What events do you have on your radar? Because I know you are very curious. What are you holding up as events that e-commerce founders and people who are working in e-commerce need to get to this year? Yeah, uh, so obviously the Add to Cart event that you're going to do, <laughs> I'm just stitching you up for sort of like now. Uh, I just got one you to do it. I've got one attendee so far, it's good. Yeah, so as long as we're in the country. Retail Global, like, sorry, Retail Fest um, yep. by Retail Global. On the Gold sorry, Coast. Yep. Sorry, Gold Coast, April time. I always find that's really, really good. I find some good brand speakers there. And you get to meet a load of other people and just sort of like catch up. I love online retailing, but it's normally on in the winter when I'm away. Yep. The Flipper do really good events. It's kind of about buying sort of like businesses. You know, like when Shopify started doing all those um, meetups and stuff, they're kind of doing sort of like the same things. Yeah. What else? Well, at the risk of plugging something, I have this idea. (laughs) Speak to me. So you might be keen on this. So I went to Japan last year and loved it. It's amazing. And I'm going back this year and I'm throwing around the idea of doing an event in Japan just for a couple of like founders and merchants and then Mm -hmm. just getting like a couple of partners involved. So it would probably only be a group of like 10 or 20 people. We go to Japan. We go and do like a Shopify meetup because we know some people in Japan and they would present on how e-commerce works in Japan. And then we present how e-commerce works in Australia because it is very different. Yep. It's something like 50% of like online transactions finish in a 7-Eleven. Really? Yeah. So you go and order something and then you walk down to your local 7-Eleven, scan a barcode and do it because their culture is risk averse so they don't lose in credit cards. Apparently really good egg sandwiches in their 7-Eleven as well. Crush it. They're amazing. Like yeah. it's awesome. Like we think 7-Eleven is like really bad where it's actually genuinely convenient. Yeah. So it's like, I'm really interested in about that. And then we present in the way it sort of works here. Then I think we do like a night where we sort of have a like an e-com dinner where we just sits and sort of like talks, then probably like a boozy night on the sake or whatever. And then just go and visit a like an e-commerce warehouse mm-hmm. in Japan mm-hmm. and just see the way that it sort of operates. So essentially there'd be four events over like four days or what have you. Come along, see what it's like, and then take like a holiday sort of like afterwards. And so if anybody is keen on that, I'm keen to sort of like chat and talk about it i'm making a commitment now (laughs) (laughs) it's real it's going to be june or july basically okay beautiful i'm actually over there in july but i'll be with the family so i won't be warehousing with you i'll be disney landing just come over earlier there we go we can do i can do july yeah what about you what other events are you iMedia is pretty good from what I hear. I've never been invited. Thanks, guys. <laughs> iMedia is great if you are a retailer, and I've been there both as a retailer and a vendor. Yep. Retailer, you get everything for free, accommodation, put up the whole lot. You know the deal, is it? But they'll do one-on-one oh, right. meetings with vendors who pay for you to be there. Yeah. And I know from a vendor perspective, a lot of vendors go, if you actually need to get deals done, it's a good place to get deals done. So, okay. Because it doesn't feel salesy. Like it's actually a really nice feel there. It's like, yeah, that's a really good one. I keep hearing more and more about eTail emerging. And yeah. I've been to eTail a couple of years ago, but haven't been recently. So I'd be interested to keep an eye on that. But I am also. When is eTail? I think it's May. I think okay. It's May. I could do that. 
but I'll definitely be at Retail Global with Ash and the team, and we might be doing a few little sub-events around that. Yep. And I'll definitely be at Online Retail because I'm working with those guys as well to do a little activation there. So to me, you know, they're the key ones, and I think it's a great way to get everyone in one spot and have all oh, those conversations. It's awesome. It's like water cooler chat, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, I actually, in fairness, like anybody that's still running like Shopify meetups, so the um, the cut in Perth, they still do them. I think Reload is still doing yep. them in Brisbane. I'm pretty sure Process are doing them in Sydney as well. Yep. They're pretty good. Oh, and um, Ecom Nation do them in Adelaide now, don't they? Yes, they did yep. one in Adelaide. We will be doing, I haven't even announced this publicly. Here we go. We will be doing Adcart Socials. Again, this year, we kind of tested the waters. But we're going to do Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne. Yep. And we have a really interesting format in mind. So it'll still be predominantly social, come and meet some new people, catch up with old ones. Mm-hmm. But we have something pretty interesting that we've been flagging in the – we've been talking about in the Add to Cart Slack channel around what people want out of an event. And there's been some pretty cool ideas thrown around. So we want to do something that's a bit different. But keep an ear out for that. Ian – This has been such an awesome chat, probably a little bit more filtered than our normal chats, but very useful. I think if you, you know, a couple of areas that we touched on around if you are considering going freelance, I think the conversation right at the start around there's more work out there for you. You've just got to have a bit of a structure. If anybody's thinking about it, just reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'll tell you everything you need to know. Great. It's a no-brainer. Something for the marketers out there around myrrh and how to attribute and then something if you're looking to buy or sell a business. And so we've covered a lot of ground. What's next for you and Boom e-commerce? So we're, we're building, I was going to say trying to, we are because it's happening. We're building the most profitable community of e-com businesses in Australia. And it's great because the focus is on the profit rather than the top line growth. You've got to have top line growth to get some profit, but it's easy to get it sort of like massed. And really that's the focus this year for me because I have my businesses that work sort of like hands-on. Yes, I have the the e-com sort of like store, but I think the most value is in just, to be honest, really breaking down a lot of stuff that we've just been through sort of like today and applying it to individual sort of like brands and just because, yeah, in theory, it's sort of like good, but, it's actually being able to apply it to a situation for somebody individually, I think, is where the value is. And so that's what Brian and I really sort of focused on. So Brian's like a um, Shopify developer slash project manager sort of like type thing. So we cover like a multitude of sins and it's kind of pulling all those bits and pieces together. Awesome, mate. And there are so many things that people could contact you about, probably just about the trip to Japan. What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? I mean, you can email me on, we'll put it in the show notes because everybody spells Ian wrong. It's not Lane, it's Ian. Honestly, just hit me up on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the best place. I'm very sort of like active on it. And I'll give anybody sort of like the time of day if I can help. I genuinely believe if you can help somebody like do it. <laughs> it's sort of like, it. it's, it's not, not much skin sort of like off my nose. You are very generous with your knowledge, mate. So thank you so much for sharing it with us today. I've got to let you go because you've got yoga to get to. I've got to get some down dogs done. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with your down dogs, mate. Thank you for joining us on Add to Cart. You are now a friend of the show. Excellent. Please refer to me in, the, in future podcasts. And thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. It's been great. There you go. See, I should have had Ian on earlier, right? My bad. If you liked Ian's take on the world of e-commerce and you want to explore his coaching program, we have a special offer for you. 20% off 
for the first six months of coaching. Head on over to coaching.boomecommerce.com.au and use the code ADDECART, all one word, to get 20% off e-commerce coaching for your first six months. I feel like you can go around the internet at the moment and use ADDECART code and just see what you can get at the moment. We've got so many great discounts popping into our chats. All right, here are the three main takeaways I got from our episode with Ian. Number one, the 50-30-20 P&L split. If you're looking for a really simple measure to see how healthy your P&L is, you might want to consider Ian's ratio. Split your P&L into three different areas, 50% gross profit, 30% expenses, 20% net profit. See how your business stacks up to that. I think 20% is very high. That's kind of a dream scenario for a lot of people, but measure it against that and you can quickly pinpoint where you need to focus. Number two, Marketing efficiency ratio. A common theme that comes from most of our add to cart discussions is the frustration of attribution. Ian's approach to this is to skip it altogether and use marketing efficiency ratio or MER to measure overall spend versus overall return. If you're getting bogged down in channel attribution, it might be worth stepping back and taking a look at your investment from a MER perspective. And number three, don't overthink things, execute. If you don't get the theme from our first two tips, Ian is not a fan of overcomplicating things, and he applies this to both e-commerce and his life. Rather than waste time on unknowns, Ian's philosophy is to execute and then adapt. And as you heard from him, most of his initial leaps were usually right. I bet it's the same for you. Thanks for joining us today on Add to Cart. To listen to all our e-commerce conversations, now in the hundreds, you can head on over to addtocart.com.au. There, you can also join up to our free private Slack community to share e-commerce ideas, tips, and questions with other listeners. You can also subscribe to the Add to Cart weekly newsletter and browse some of the video highlights from our chats. There is a lot there. That's addtocart.com.au. And if I can ask you one thing before you go, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you share it with a friend or a colleague who could benefit or leave us a review. It really makes a difference. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep those customers adding to cart. Listener.